0: Good afternoon. Hello. (laughs) Good afternoon. Thank you all for being here. I'm Armand Limnander, the deputy editor of W Magazine in New York. And we're very lucky this afternoon for the fashion section of the festival to have Pamela Golbin, the curator of the Musée des Arts Décoratifs in Paris, one of the most important fashion museums and institutions in the world, and Gokash Gennasi, the designer and owner of Vionnet, one of the most important labels in the history of women's fashion, so it's, um, it's quite a, uh, a panel that we have. Um, I wanted to start by, um, asking Goga to just introduce yourself and tell us how you came into the fashion world, because it's a little bit of an unusual path. You're not the, the typical fashion designer. Can For you tell us a little... the of the day? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, well, actually, it's always been my, my passion and, uh, my ambition to, to be in fashion, however, destiny takes you different um, ways and um, eventually, su- I suppose, when you're meant to be doing something, you will arrive there. So I have finally feel at the final destination. However, I was born um, in um, a communist country, actually. I was born in Russia um, and then I was educated in England and when I wanted to go to St. Martin's, my parents said, please get an education first. And then (laughs) uh, if you need to be creative, you can always take that up at a later stage, which um, then didn't happen immediately, unfortunately, or fortunately. I'm not complaining, of course, uh, and every experience is an experience. However, I ended up being in finance and in um, oil and gas and mining industries among a bunch of others. And then eventually, I always felt that I couldn't that fashion was something I couldn't live without. so if 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 any advice I would ever give to anyone with with the with the experience that i'm that I'm having today is if 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 one does, is not completely passionate about about fashion and the processes involved, one shouldn't go into the fashion <laughs> industry. Uh, however, I'm extremely lucky and uh, extremely i feel I feel very honored to be able to uh, participate to the legacy and, and, and I suppose, also contribute uh, a little uh, of my own legacy into a brand like Vionnet, because, uh, of course, Vionnet, I don't know how many of you are familiar, because it's it's quite staggering for me, actually, that there's a lot of people that have not heard of, of the brand and uh, of the name Madeleine Vionnet, who, in fact, probably has um, created fashion as we know it today. It's, it's probably the, for me of course, is the most influential character in, in the fashion that we see and that is relevant in, in today's um, uh, fashion shows and, and, yeah. and works of many. I think, so
0: uh, I think we're very lucky that uh, we have Pamela with us because <laughs> Pamela curated Absolutely. an exhibition on Madeleine Vionnet before uh, Goga uh, came, came on board at the brand, uh, you came in 2012, Correct. and your in- exhibition was 2009, 10? Correct, nine. Um, so <coughs> I think it would be interesting if Pamela gave us a little bit of the background on Vionnet based on her exhibition and just really explain quite how significant the fashion legacy of Vionnet is and how, how it reverberates today.
2: We're gonna, we're gonna try some technical feats. Hopefully, it'll work. So this is Madeleine Viony. Um, she looks more like a grandmother than a revolutionary, uh, which is what she was. She was born at the end of the 19th century, in 1876, and lived quite an incredible life, because she passed away almost for her 100th birthday. But in the meantime, she did revolutionize fashion, as Goga said. We have very many passionate conversations about Madeleine. Um, On a personal level, I started my career working on Madeleine Vionnet. That was about 26 years ago. But on a professional level, she is one of the most important designers. So is this going to work? This was her um, salon. Cinquante uh, Avenue Montaigne in the 8th in Paris. She actually opened her house in 1912, but what is it that she did? She's considered the purest of fashion and she was a contemporary of Paul Poiret, who was much more considered a costume designer, as she actually called him, or Gabrielle Chanel, who started exactly the same year in 1912. The reason why her name is so, um, I guess, little known today, as opposed to someone like Chanel or Poiret, is because she decided to close her house in 1939. But before she did that, she established, really, the archetypal uh, modern wardrobe. She worked on a little doll, and this little doll is 80 centimeters high. And the reason why she did that was because all of her designs were based on three shapes. The square, the rectangle, and the circle. And basically, she was able to do the central of all of her work around these three basic shapes. She worked on, like a puzzle, these little shapes on the doll, so it's three-dimensional and not flat, as things had been done just until then because she really felt that it was about the body. Um, The body had no seams, and so that was why it was so important to use it on a small scale, and her ateliers then made it much bigger, scale one, so that she could really experiment. Oops. So this is actually from the Encyclopedia of Diderot in the 18th century, and this is a how tailors worked and worked up until the 19th century when Madeleine Vionnet began her own house. And it was basically just flat, two-dimensional. So you cut out the shapes from a from a fabric and then through seaming you created a volume. But Vionnet was not about that. And she always said the body has no seam, so why should dresses as well um, follow that? This is her masterpiece. This is the four-handkerchief dress. It's basically four squares, but when you look at it today, it's very difficult to understand how revolutionary this piece was. There's no hooks. There's no buttons. There's no zippers. There's no lining. It's one-size-fits-all. It's basically stretched before lycra. And women could dress themselves in 30 seconds flat, Before then, women actually needed someone to help them put all of the little buttons, hook it all up. It took probably about an hour to get dressed. So Madeleine Vionnet introduced what Steve Jobs did, the iPhone. No more buttons, this was it. Simplified to the minimum. And for you to really understand how incredible this is, we have a little film. So, these are the four panels of bias cut crepe marocain. Um, it's the kind of crepe that she used. She had many types of crepe. It was the weight that was very important for her. And so they're all on a di- diagonal, which is how you get that bias so that it stretches. But she didn't invent the bias, it was used before. But the reason why nobody had ever actually done a dress in it was because it was stealth wealth. To use the bias cut meant that you needed a lot more fabric, so obviously it was much more expensive. And here it is, the hundred-and-plus-year-old dress. I don't think it's taken a wrinkle until now, and this is something we've spoken a lot with Golga. Madeleine felt that she, her creations were very important. She didn't feel that she was an artist, and this is, I think, something that we'll also discuss um, with Hussein in um, in the next panel. But is fashion an art? Manetune was very clear about that. She said, "Artists dream. Fashion designers need to dress women or men. If not, they close shop." And that's something that's very important within the fashion world. It is an industry, and. Goga's business acumen has been very (laughs) important in this whole, um, uh, process. But what, um, one of the things that was very important to Madeleine was copyright infringement. We're in the 1920s. She's the first to actually write the laws against copyright infringement. So all of her labels carried her thumb, her digital imprint, to show this is my signature. This is what I've done. This is my creation. And so here the first actual signature that she did in her first pieces in 1912. And then as of 1918, because of her success, she was copied in all of the Anglo-Saxon countries as well as in Europe. And she started printing her digital um, thumb on each of the of the labels. And you see it um, on the b- the ones that are below it. That was just a, a very small, quick look at Vionnet before we we continue our talk.
0: So we're going to have we're going to show now on a continuous loop in the back the new Vionnet, which is uh, what Goga has been doing for the past couple of years. And so, why don't you um, tell us a little bit about what your uh, what your vision is. This is the past. What the present and the future is for you.
1: Well, I think with a with a name like Vionnet coming into fashion is is definitely uh, an honorary task, but at the same time a very challenging task because whether you like it or not, you're going to be compared with someone who is a legend, someone whose shoes nobody. In, in in my opinion, can can fill. So um, right now, I'm the creative director. However, I have a uh, a beautiful and talented team that I that I call my family. That is that are all working together on um, on the VA today, and directing them is a pleasure. It's 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 they are it, it truly we call we call ourselves the v um, and family, and. First and foremost, the first inspiration that we take is, is from Madeleine Vionnet and always trying to be true to the heritage and always trying to be true to the, um, to the DNA of the brand, let's say. However, as Pamela was explaining and, and as you see from, uh, from her inventions, she has invented what has been claimed, let's say, by the fashion world. There isn't, I don't think, a designer Today, who is not using the bias cut, who is not using the draping, the um, the pleating, the all of the the so-called language, let's say the language of fashion that the, that we're using today, um, creating it. So, it is a very challenging task to claim some of those signatures back and and say, in fact, this is Vionnet. Of course, there's always. Fashion, as many other creative industries, are, is a very referential platform, let's say. There's a lot of references uh, people use, and, and um, some use it literally, and then others try to be more innovative, I think. And this is another component, I think, to, to uh, the vision that, uh, that I've got, is she was an innovator, and she was a revolutionary, and to be a revolutionary in a way is also preserving her legacy. Um, in today's um, environment, I think um, the textiles are very important. We're looking at the shapes because, as you see, the shapes, they, they seem almost simple, simplistic, but at the same time, perfect. And um, so we're using, in fact, I've ordered myself the same 80-centimeter dolls without realize, realizing, of course, that she used 80-centimeter dolls because there was exactly half of a... Of a uh, average height. Today, people are taller. <laughs> and before it was easier to then transfer it onto a big pattern by just timesing it by two now. Of course, we have these 80-centimeter doors and we drape on them and then we have to <laughs> calculate literally by <laughs> decibel points. But, um, so we we still take these shapes, these squares, the circle, and um, working with the, with the, with these geometrical shapes, but using the new technology in a way uh, by using all of these new tools that are that are available to us so the materials the the textures the um, the the new finishes are very much present and and hopefully we're creating something that that will have a reference in the future something that was that was new of course I haven't been um, doing this for for too long and and I have a great team. However, I'm also on the learning curve. I'm. A, I, I also believe uh, for creativity, to nurture your creativity, you always have to remain curious and, and in a way, always stay on that learning curve. But um, hopefully, it's getting it's getting better, and and hopefully, um, it's getting or it is worthy of, of of such a beautiful name and such a tremendous heritage for for a whole industry. So. Um,
0: Madeleine Vionnet was also considered by many one of the uh, a, a, a very early feminist, if not in in, in her language, in her work. She uh, she really, as Pamela was explaining, until she and others like Chanel and came along, women were corseted, women were constrained by what they wore, and she liberated them from that. There was a there was a lot of political elements in her work. Um, I was wondering whether you coming from a part of I mean I know you your your family's originally from Kazakhstan do you feel that there's the need do you feel a sen, in, in any sense any feminist agenda in your work considering that there are still parts of the world where women cannot express themselves freely through fashion have you have you thought of that considering, you know the house where that it, it's, inter- it, it's interesting for, to me that your interest was in Vionnet because there's so many other other houses
1: um, you said my origin is Kazakh however unfortunately I have never properly lived there and I never I guess felt um, in any way constrained um, even when I worked there I think it's I'm I'm definitely if not a lot, a bit feminist. <laughs> so, if there are any correlations to be um, to be brought uh, with with myself and, and Vionnet and and, and Madeleine, I definitely I definitely believe in um, in women that are powerful, and I believe in uh, in the capabilities of women. I believe that our um, the potential of, of women is not yet explored to the full. Um, I do believe that certain cultures, perhaps more than others, uh, contribute to that fact. Uh, However, I also believe in the power of the individual. And uh, I think that if this woman a hundred years ago, and that environment I think was a lot less um, women-friendly, let's say, Mm -hmm. if uh, more than a hundred years ago she was able to to, to reach this far in today's world, what can any woman do? If you put your mind to it, if you put your willpower, if you put positive energy, if you keep your open mind, I think um, everything is possible. And I, I, I'm a big supporter of that belief and I'm a big supporter of women mm, because I do believe that in a way they need help sometimes. However, always say it's all in your hands. It's, it's all in it's, it's all yours. Well,
0: well, another interesting point is that fashion has become so global in the past 20, 30 years. I mean, when you think back at the time of yone or even 30, 40 years ago, all fashion came from Italy and from France and then eventually from the United States. I don't think we would have had uh, Russian designer at a major European fashion house even, even 15, 20 years ago. So that in itself is a very, is a very positive, positive change. Do you think that fashion has the power nowadays, especially with all the advances in communications and visual language, to really affect cultural change?
1: well i think there was a lot more exposure let's say of the population to the creative maybe in some parts of the world and 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 it was more nurtured um, so i guess in today's world i mean again i don't like any kind of definition or tagging i'm of kazakh origin i've also got jewish blood in me i've also got tatar blood in me and, and i've been kind of brought up all over the world and and i that's contributed and, and led me up to, to where I am today. I, I think, in today's world of um, uh, increased communication and information availability, there's definitely, definitely more opportunities and more exposure, even at a young age. If you're interested, if you feel the need to, to read something about Vionnet, you can with a click of a button today. Before, you would probably have to travel. Um, for, I don't know, months to get to a library to, to read that book. But
2: not all the information is right.
1: <laughs> Sorry?
2: <laughs> not all the information you read is...
1: Apparently <laughs> not, exactly. Just last <laughs> night we were checking. Uh, we were checking on the internet. and It was an article from 1976 from Soviet Union, in fact, and I mean... I always check my facts with Pamela because if there's anyone in the world <laughs> that is a true expert, um, so it, it's it's Pamela for instantaneous sure. Instantaneous translation. What we realized that. What are some of the misconceptions? There was pretty much 50 percent of that article <laughs> was not true, um, so <laughs> it was it was really quite um, it was it was really quite interesting because I was reading the article first uh, a couple of weeks ago and I was thinking to myself. I thought I'd read quite a lot of literature now and really studied the Vienna history quite intensely for for a while. And I thought, my God, I didn't know that she invented a hoodie. And that (laughs) was (laughs) written in the article. So I was asking Pamela, I said, well, I I didn't want to step on anybody's um, foot here, you know, but I mean, it's good if she did, but it doesn't seem logical because you do remember those. Those beautiful capuchons on on these cloaks of, uh, of ladies of uh, many centuries before and, and I asked and, and Pamela said, I can guarantee she did not <laughs> invent the hoodie perhaps uh, many many other things, but mm. definitely not a hoodie
2: well in fashion it's always difficult to say who was the first mm-hmm. yes so you have to stay
1: very um I guess, distant from that. There was a beautiful conversation betw- between Doucet and, and Madeleine Dusset. Dusset. Mm-hmm. yes, uh, who was her first, um, or one of the significant employers where, uh, wh- where she created her first um, barefoot, braless um, collection, let's say. R- if I'm <laughs> correct, do cut me off, please. Um, <laughs> and uh, that conversation was kind of interesting. And again, Pamela cut in and said, that conversation never happened. <laughs> I can pretty much g- guarantee that. But it's nice to have imagination. Definitely. And in, in 1976, which of course was a year after her death, and it was talking very interestingly about, in fact, um, the relevance of the bias card that came back in the 70s, because obviously in the 60s um, it was very, um, let's, let's say, square orientated. There were these minis and everything was... Um, not in bias. And the, the 70s brought back the 30s lengths, and, and also the drapery and uh, um, body consciousness, let's say. And and that really put Vionnet back on the map mm-hmm. after, after quite uh, a few decades, let's say. Of, of but you mentioned
2: something that was really interesting, is fabrics. It all starts with the textile, and there has been so much innovation in the textile industry um, worldwide that the fact that you've been really looking into new textiles is is something very important because that will shape what comes
1: out, what kind of silhouette you get at, in the end. No, no, absolutely. The textiles also, at the beginning of the 20th century, of course, there was industrial revolution and the and the mass production just came about. And, and um, I think also the textiles I was reading, again, please cut me off, because it might have been <laughs> a wrong source. But um, I've been reading that um, there is a piece-dying um, technique that appeared, which allowed to fix that the, the bias yarn, and um, that allowed for a more stretchy material. So, in fact, stretch materials are also, in a way, um, uh, an invention or of so op- UNA. Uh, so I'm curious, what bias. is
0: what is your Process. How do you approach the collection, considering um, because you don't have a, a, traditional fashion background. You you didn't you didn't. Um oh, I did do
1: a little bit of training throughout. But yes, but, absolutely. But, but
0: is your is your approach? Do you do you draw? Do you come with an idea and ask for someone to elaborate on it? Do you do you clip things? Do you come pr- with historical references? How do you, how do you approach each you collection? S-
1: oh, you should see me in the office because um a world my English. stylist my stylist. <laughs> who I love very much, and, and she came to me, she said, Coco, go, go, but why are you not wearing heels? Because, you know, I always see you and you're always wearing flats, and before you always, you know, you, you just kind of, you, you need to wear heels, it's about posture, it's about, I'm mean, like, listen, I really love to wear heels, but I think I would fall, because I, I do everything with everybody in, in my team, and I draw, and I, work with the party makers for my love, and then with, and, and with every department, pretty much, and I'm on the floor, and then I'm jumping up but and do you down. Start the what's the
0: starting point? What's the beginning?
1: The beginning always comes um, with with an idea, inspiration. I mean, we always, when, when starting a collection, I always look through the books. One of them, tell of course. No, but tell us about this collection that we're actually seeing, because it has a nice story. Okay, well, the first, of course, we take, a book written by Pamela Gobin, <laughs> I love your name, <laughs> and start flicking through it. Um, it's a beautiful book, by the way. And um, then, of course, I tried to find inspiration and ideas anywhere but fashion after that, quite frankly. Uh, in this collection, for instance, um, I was fascinated with the color of iridescence So, um, and it started with me looking at uh, patterns created by, um, oil when hitting the ocean during famous spills that are happening and the environmental, um, disasters that are happening. And, and of course they are disasters. However, when you look at it from an aesthetic point of view, it is actually quite beautiful. And, um, I, I started studying the color of iridescence first looking at the, the so-called man-made, yet unpredictable result that happens in nature, and then wanted to look, where else can you find this iridescence in nature without any involvement of the man, and I found it in the dragonfly wings. So then, looking at the dragonfly wings, I looked at the patterns that the veins are making, and somehow it clicked with me that in a way, it had a correlation with the art deco patterns that Madeleine Vionnet was, of course, very much interested in and worked very much with Ernesto Tayat. And uh, this this imagery that, that came to my mind. And um, with my team, then, we started looking at these iridescence, uh, at these patterns, um, working back and forth, looking at different materials. And um, then I was very fascinated with the unpredictable result that that is achieved by almost a whiplash effect of a a man putting um, his forceful nature, let's say, onto um, something natural, it's very difficult to explain. It is very clear in my head, mind you. Um, And I started looking at the same time um, at the abstract movement, art movement, uh, Pollock in particular, who, like the oil spill, was taken. His um, paint and was throwing it at the canvas, so it was him kind of forcing himself onto this canvas. Yet, what the result was unexpected and beautiful, and it had to do with the with the way that this paint was landing and and in a way um, having a relationship with the with the canvas that was almost didn't have anything to do with him. So, you will see it stuck onto one. Um, image now. This is, of course, uh, one of the veins that you see, which is a, which is a, a, a reversible dress, and you'll see it in the next slide. Where again, we took the shapes are always to do with Viennese, and it's a spiral. So it's a one piece of fabric that is literally like peeling an apple is 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 cut around the body. So we're always being very body conscious, and the shapes you see are very true to VNA, even this. So this is a motive uh, taken from Fontana, actually another abstract artist, and then uh, putting an element. I'm talking about decorative, of course, now. But this element at the bottom is the greca, the uh, used very, very much by Madeleine Vionnet. So we always have a little reference to the past, yet trying to be the future. This textile took me, I don't know, about three months to to achieve because it's three different techniques in one. It's a devore, a coupé, and a pigment print. I mean. Actually, um, we were working with Hussein. I don't know if he's in the auditorium. Started um, on this fabric for the um, for the couture. It didn't work out then, but we took it further and further, and then elaborated into into this eventually. So um, it was it, it's selling right now actually in the in you the showrooms. You just came in well. from New York, I think. Yes, we just presented in New York and got really good reviews and, and a very is, good... Is
0: this the Dragonfly wing you were mentioning? Yes, I'm.
1: you know, I'm <laughs> I'm very lucky like this. I can borrow pieces <laughs> from the showroom. <laughs> Although my commercial team always mind, they always say, Kogan, no, don't take it, because mm. that means it's not going to be in the showroom. So yes, it is one of them. But uh, it's, it will be in the stores next year, of course. We're all working ahead. Anyways... I, I
2: know your passion for Vionnet, but a question that always arises is, why not have started
1: your own brand? Um, I was never about me, my, 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 my love for fashion was always fascination. I don't know, it, also Vionnet, somehow people ask me, and, and you mentioned, why would you be interested in Vionnet? Why would you choose Vionnet? People ask me this question. Um, interviewers and so on, and I always reply that I don't feel like I have chosen Vionnet, I feel like Vionnet had chosen me. I feel blessed to be able to to, to work with a heritage like this. I have many ideas of my own, but I'm not, uh, I don't know, I don't, I'm not vain like that. It's not about, my my passion for, for what I'm doing has nothing to do with being passionate about promoting myself. It's to be Passionate about the processes. In fact, I'm. I I'm much more enjoy a day without, you know, appearing in public and <laughs> being with my team that I, as I said already mentioned, uh, love very dearly and enjoy every minute with. And and for me, th- these processes, the creative processes we go through, the travel that we go to, that the, also I take my team when we travel. We take I take them on inspiration trips. We just went to Berlin a couple of weeks ago. We went to Tokyo before where we always kind of keep an open mind and talk about V&A and talk about new inspirations and new um, interesting ways of draping, working on the fabric, doing this. And, and it's just a, this is what I love the most. And, and I feel like I was meant to be somehow doing exactly this and not creating some Gogash Kanazi brand, it's just not me really. <laughs>
0: Well, should we open up to uh, questions from the audience? I'm sure people want to participate. I can't really see with the light, so.
1: No.
0: Mm. Is is there a microphone we could pass around? Hi. Is this working? Uh, Can you hear me? yes. Yes. Thanks for a fascinating discussion. It's always great to learn about someone that you knew nothing about. Um, and I was wondering if um, Madame Vianney's closing of her house in 1939 had anything to do with the occupation of Paris um, uh, and like you know, world events. I also wondered, uh, that dress, the square dress, is so beautiful and um, it reminded me of Malievich, his um, Suprematist squares. And <clears throat> I was wondering if she, and also the um, circle, square, and triangles like Cézanne brought to life. And I was wondering if she was connected with any of, of that or mm-hmm. if she was aware of that, what she was doing.
2: Ab- absolutely. Um, she did close in 1939 because of the war and she was not the only house in Paris that closed down. However, she was um, one of the houses that didn't reopen after the war. Things changed quite drastically in fashion. And what's important to know is that she was already in her 60s by then and had started at the age of 11. So over 50 years had gone by and she was ready to retire. And in 1939, 65 was, you know, a, a good age. But she did live for almost 40 more years and yes, She was close to that movement, to Malevich, and all of the purists, Le Corbusier. She wasn't um, like Chanel, who went out and was very much about herself. She she stayed uh, very much out of the limelight, but was very close to artists and designers of her time.
0: Anyone else?
2: As I read, uh, you were in uh, oil business in the past, so uh, where is this interest in uh, fashion coming from and what we have to wait uh, of the future of Vienna brand? What will uh, it change? You will uh, change the DNA of this brand or it will stay the same? Thank you.
1: Um, I was in oil and gas and also mining business, and but that was more means to an end. I was, I suppose, it wasn't. I, I, I wasn't growing up thinking, my God, I really want to be in oil and gas. <laughs> <laughs> I was growing up sort of more, really interested in in fashion. And and my mother was making all of her, uh, all of her clothes in an atelier and, and all of my uniforms. And she was obsessed. I guess I, I kind of in, inherited this this love for fashion, but. When an opportunity arises, and I was kind of fortunate, and I, I do consider myself very lucky to be able to have um, faced those opportunities. When an opportunity arises, and it's the, it's, it's the logic that says you can't, whether you are gonna be passionate about this particular you know, opportunity, it's just something you can't pass. It's just, it would be silly not to do it and then of course there is a whirlwind that just takes you in and you do one and then the other and then it's always dragging you and you know you you try to get out but they drag you back in Mm. they it's always um it it always feels good to make money in a way you know it's it's a very it's a it's a feeling when you are financially successful and you're becoming secure and that gives you a level of independence that is almost addictive this independence. Um, and certainly, I wouldn't have been able to be doing, sitting here and doing what I'm doing without without that part of my life. Yet I always knew it was temporary, and I always wanted to be in fashion. And when I, it was literally a conscious decision when I moved, in fact, to Florence. And to do with the previous question, um, Madeleine Vionnet was collaborating very closely with an artist called uh, Ernesto Tayat from Florence. Um, and they and they created very beautiful illustrations and and um, worked together um, and so it just somehow clicked. Anyway, I was doing these courses in fashion and in arts and for a year rebooting my system and looking for a brand. And when I heard Vianey was was looking for a partner, I, was, I grabbed that opportunity. That was not an opportunity that I could pass either because that was a dream come true and. It's a very different feeling when you know that this is an opportunity that you were waiting your entire life for this is so I was very clear about that um, and uh, with Vionnet, when I when I overtook Vna it wasn't my ambition to to become creative director immediately. I wanted to leave myself time for me this is a lifelong project it's not something I would move on. People ask me if you were in another industry before and then you move to fashion and then maybe you'll move again. I don't think it's going to be happening and also another question is always why do you think v a is going to be successful this time around? People have tried before and I say always that it's either going to happen or I'm either going to do it or I'm going to die trying because this is for me a lifelong dream and um, so when I overtook it I I will always keep the DNA of the brand but I guess an interpretation is um I will probably be persecuted, maybe some people will agree with me, also in the future with, with the approach that I'm taking, but I'm doing my very best to preserve the legacy, but also be true to who Vionnet, Madeleine, Madame Vionnet was. And she was a revolutionary in a way, so not in a way, in a huge way. And and, and so that spirit is also, for me, something to consider and keep true to. So the DNA will always be there in terms of form and, and but we move on in a way with the with all the new capabilities like I was saying before. So hopefully we'll be able with my team to take it slightly forward as well and, and, and be worthy of, of the name and put the VNA name back on the pedestal where it belongs really. So there's a lot of effort going toward that, not only on the design front, also also on the business side, um, we're we're opening stores all over, and we're already in 250 locations around the world, so it's growing, it's getting there. It just requires time and, and support, you know, so your support counts, for sure.
0: Anyone else? Or?
1: I, I'd just like oh. to add, because this is
2: something that we speak of often, Goga's passion, um, relentless passion, but it's also a challenging industry. And I think there's some fashion students here, I think it would be nice if they hear your daily
1: challenges, (laughs) (laughs) or at least a couple. Well, the
0: fact that it never ends. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, well,
1: it's never ending, for sure. I've, it sounds so little that I've been in it for two years, but I feel like I've been in it for, I don't know how many years. What did you say, dog years? I said it's dog years. (laughs) I said it's like seven years for one. (laughs) Because you do so many collections in one, in one year, and every collection is a little lifetime almost. And it ends, and it has a beginning, and it's got a climax, and it's got everything. So you live through these ups and downs, and at the same time, apart from being creative, you have to face a lot of, I wanted to say a bad word, but a lot of unnecessary <laughs> challenges. Losses. A lot of challenges, a lot of unnecessary energy being wasted. Let's say on, on things that shouldn't matter. And um, there's also systems which I uh, have a very strong opinion about, but won't go into that conversation. There's a lot of, um, there is a lot of tension, let's say, and not enough collaboration in the arts world today. I find people are more collaborative and. Historically, it hasn't been like this. And in in fashion, there's a lot of just tensions that uh, people are very um, egoistical, let's say, and very egocentric. A lot of the time when the talent is here and the ego is about the same, it's it's wonderful. If ego is here, talent is there, it really is unbearable. And there's (laughs) some of that too. So you know it's it, it, a lot of that happens, and, and unfortunately, some egos are nurtured, even though the, the, you know the, the, in my opinion sometimes others maybe deserve it more but anyway it's it's a challenging industry for sure you can only go in if if you are obsessed with the process because all the rest of the um, dealings are, are very difficult.
0: I know. I think a lot of people th- uh, see the image of the designer coming at the end of the show and taking the bow and think it's very glamorous but they don't oh realize Oh god, this that is like
1: 20 seconds of um, <laughs> exactly of like a months and months of beautiful, beautiful pro- as I was saying, beautiful moments but also a lot of time of just wasted <laughs> for me. So yeah, it's definitely it's, it's you know, I love it, so I can't discourage people. I love every minute. So I, I definitely think that if, if you feel this is if, if anyone feels that this is this is their path and, and uh sky's the limit and, and if if you will persevere, I think you know, you nurture your talent and, and, and you set your height and, and you and you will get there.
0: I think that's a very good place to end. <laughs> Thank you both very much and thank you as well.
1: Thank you.